Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Motivating, anointed, the list could go on and on. Pastor and Sister Moses have dedicated their lives, dedicated their lives to ministry. Do you have my, you have my picture up there today? Now, this, this is early years evangelism, right? This is early years evangelism. They start evangelizing, and it looks something like this. Now, those of you that have three kids, four kids, have kids in general, think with me for a moment, the struggles of children that would be in these ages. Now, think about being in church virtually every night of the week. Because revival in our, I can even say my day because it was the same in my day. Revival in our days are not like it was today. It wasn't Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or just Sunday morning, Sunday night. It was the Wednesday through Sunday. It was weeks sometimes. It went into weeks of revival. And when you wasn't preaching, you were driving to your next revival. Imagine having that. So with that being said, and you know I oftentimes like to do this, and we all the times talk about, you know, the preacher ministering the word of the Lord. Sister Vicki Moses has to have a crown jeweled crown in heaven like no other to have these three kids on the road while this man is studying hour by hour every day for each night. She's taking care of these kids and managing them and so on and so forth for 15 years of being in service almost every night of the week. And now serves faithfully and has as a pastor's wife, amen, and due diligence with that. And so I think it's good this morning to also, since this is a life, this is a life of ministry that we have sitting here on our front pew, both he and she, a life of ministry, amen. And I would just like to give a hand clap and the Lord and honor this precious couple that God has given to the kingdom for such a time as this, investing in souls and lives for their lives of dedication. Amen. Let's honor the Lord today. Pastor Moses, will you please come and share with us today? Praise the Lord, everyone. You can be seated. Well, that's a throwback picture. Must have had to go to the National Enquirer to get that one. And, uh, back in those days... Uh, we we drove where we were going on Monday, and we did Tuesday through Sunday, and maybe did a chapel service on Wednesday, and uh, prison ministry maybe during the week, and hospital visits three times on Sunday. Uh, it's changed, uh, but I pastor now, so I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. I text the one of my elders this morning and said I, I'm exhausted and I still have two more services have the church pray for me I know we've covered a lot and I know I've still got a lot more to cover I was up late last night and uh, this morning early a little after five trying to get all of this together I want to I leave as much as I can 
But I know your seat can only endure so much. But um, I want to get into the word of the Lord again today. I, I, I mentioned I mentioned only briefly about the Bereshit prophecy that reveals the countdown did not begin at the birth of Jesus, but at the death of Jesus. Most, most genealogy charts you look, if you, some of you older folks, you remember Clarence Larkin's charts. We used to have them on the back of our walls of our church, and they would give the timeline from the creation and showing the 6,000 years of man's time. And the dates on those was 4004 BC. According to the genealogies of the Bible, that's where creation began, at 4004 BC. So instead of starting from creation at 4004 BC and counting forward 4,000 years, what would happen if you started at the Passover in 30 AD and counted backward 4,000 years to the creation? It would take you to the year 3970 BC. But wait, that doesn't take you back to the creation. <clears throat> so why is the date so important? Because if you count back to 3970, you end up with 33 and a half years left. Some of you got it right away. It takes you back to the creation date if you had 33 and a half years at 4004 BC. It's a confirmation that Adam and Jesus both lived sinless lives for 33 and a half years. Adam lived to be, to be 930 years and then he died so the one day with the Lord being as a thousand years comes into play here because the Lord told Adam, he said, in the day that you eat of the tree, that's the day you'll surely die. Adam didn't die on that day, but with one day being with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day, Adam still died that day before the thousand years was up. It's important to note that the Bereshit prophecy doesn't send us back to the day of creation. It sends us back 33 and a half years later when Adam sinned and sin first entered into the world. This is important. So the year, 30, the year 3970 is important because it appears to be the year that God started the countdown of the 4,000 years that would climax at the crucifixion at Calvary. 4,000 years after Adam sinned, the second Adam, the man Christ Jesus, would be crucified and cancel the covenant of death that all of his descendants entered into. So Bereshit proves that it was not the birth of Jesus that changed the world, it was the death of Jesus. The birth of Jesus was important but if he didn't die, none of us could have been saved. So it is a confirmation that we know we have an anchor point in history that the first 4,000 years of man's history from 4,004 or 3970 from there to the crucifixion was 4,000 years. 
It became the pivot point of history. It was the arc of history. So if Jesus died on Passover in 30 AD, and then you count back from that from Calvary, it takes you back to 4 BC, which is now widely regarded as the day Jesus was born. So you have two days now that we can accurately determine as anchor points in history. And then when you count back 4,000 years from 4 BC, when you count back there, it takes you back to the original creation date of 4004 BC. You have three anchor points in that one Bereshit prophecy. Jesus died exactly 4,000 years after Adam sinned or after sin entered into the world. Now, what makes this so profound, and some of you were not here last night, you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I want to I add this before I move on. What makes this so profound and fascinating is that it was so simple when you see it from that perspective, and yet this has been hidden from our view until just a few short years ago. There was a man, a research uh, director, a religious research director, his name was C.J. Lovett, and he, re he began a research in 2015. He was studying the Hebrew pictures and numbers of the letters I talked about briefly last night to see what their spiritual significance was. And then in 2018, he began working on a presentation that we now know as the Bereshit prophecy or Bereshit Passover prophecy that was not released until 2000 or yeah, 2019. We talked about that last night. Daniel said in the last days, Daniel 12 and 4, knowledge shall be increased. When I read this research and I, I read it thoroughly, I shudder to think at what God kept hidden from us from our view for all of these centuries, for some reason, he wants us to know it now. You don't have to be a Christian to know that something is very wrong in the world and something very scary and dreadful is on the horizon. So God literally did proclaim the end from the beginning in the Bereshit prophecy because the Bereshit prophecy declares that 2,000 years, this is from the Bereshit prophecy, 2,000 years after the crucifixion of Jesus, he's going to return to the earth to set up his kingdom for 1,000 years. You say, what does that mean? We now have the four anchor points of the first 4,000 years. Why would the last be less accurate? So if the Bereshit prophecy said that, then it looks like Jesus will return to the earth to set up his millennial kingdom after the tribulation in 2030, according to the Bereshit prophecy. This is where so many get confused because they confuse the second coming of the Lord with the rapture, and they're not the same event. And that's how a Brother Hoffman could say that he really believes that Jesus will return to the earth in 2030 because of the Bereshit prophecy. You can do the math. You don't have to be a scholar. Just do the math. But he did not say when the rapture will take place because no one knows when that's going to happen. If someone tells you they do, they're lying to you. They do not know when the rapture will take place. The rapture of the church is meant to rescue the church off this world before the wrath of God falls, and it's coming. A few months ago, I mentioned to our church that there was an emergency Aliyah conference that was held in Jerusalem 
where they were trying to consolidate, the Jews were trying to consolidate their efforts to call all the Jews all over the world, especially the 46% of the Jews that are in America, to come home now. It's an emergency. Come home now. I listened to as much of this conference. It was, it was hours and hours long. Most of it was in Hebrew, but a lot of it was, was uh, transcribed or it would be spoken by somebody dubbing over that with English. But it disturbed me when I listened to it. I, was, I, I never heard Jews talk like this, but they were all speaking in terms of the end of days. They were talking about global trouble that's coming upon the world, especially toward the Jewish people. They spoke very clearly and directly about what they called the final wave of Jewish migration back to Israel that started in 2019. The same year that C.J. Lovick released the Bereshit prophecy. But they said the door is closing. They stressed that something big is about to happen. And the only safe place in the world for Jews is going to be Israel. So they were urging them, you need to come home now. Who could have predicted that while they were having this emergency conference calling the Jews from all over the world to come home that the red heifers would be delivered in Israel one week later that posters would be set up all over Israel in New York the next week after that announcing that the Messiah has come you say well we, what does that mean to us well the red heifer doesn't mean anything to us except a sign because Jesus finished the blood work we don't need a red heifer to do that when you're baptized in his name, your sins are washed away. But they're looking for ashes of the red heifer to remove their sin. And we don't have to worry about a Messiah. Our Messiah already came. He was crucified for our sins. He finished it all on the cross. Amen. But one article I read from Israel said that some of Israel's most, pr most prominent high-level rabbis are now afraid to leave the country lest they miss the Messiah's coming meaning his global introduction. Because in a recent interview on Israeli radio that featured prominent rabbis who were explaining that the Messiah is about to be revealing himself, prominent rabbis in Israel began doing radio interviews in Israel with a warning. The process of redemption is about to start happening very quickly. It's going to be at a fast pace. It's important that people remain calm and steady to act properly in the right time because getting the word out now that the Messiah is closer than ever is a matter of life and death. He goes on to say, Haven't you heard of the Gog and Magog war that is about to happen very soon? He said, Right now the situation is very explosive. More than you can possibly imagine. Everyone needs to know whether they're on the inside or if they're going to be left out. End of quote. Another righteous rabbi prophesied decades ago, decades ago, he said that Benjamin Netanyahu would be the state of Israel's last prime minister prior to the Messianic age. We believe that the prime minister will be, he will, Benjamin Netanyahu would be prime minister during the first Gog-Magog war. He goes on to say, a great many, if not most, of the ultra-Orthodox Jews that are in Israel continue to believe that to be true. 
Another article appeared. I think this was Jerusalem Post. Said the Jewish Messiah appears in Israel. In a stunning turn of events, the ultra-Orthodox Jews have discovered and revealed their Messiah at Passover. His name is Rab Shlomo Yehoda ben David. Some who have met this so-called Messiah are saying, Blessed is the generation that got to see his face. Someone else wrote, There are no words to describe how much privilege we have in this generation of such a truly humble whole sage. It is a lesson in humility to see him and to hear that special voice. It is literally heaven on earth. And then there's this one. It said, he's most wonderful. He's a holy and pure mouth, pure and clean. He's been spoken of as a prodigy. He's being marveled over as one with divine, with divine attributes. They're describing him in the same way that the Bible described Jesus. He's being lauded as the greatest Kabbalah teacher of his generation, if not of all time. In a video, he's shown teaching head rabbis of the Sanhedrin. Thousands are packing the venues while he's speaking at the, uh, uh, among the oldest and wisest rabbis that are sitting on the front row weeping. He's being called a holy man. He's 33 years old. And yet it seems to be amazing that he has this knowledge of the Torah. He knows not only the Torah and the Talmud by heart, but he knows over a hundred religious books by heart. He was discovered praying at the Wailing Wall on the Sabbath on March the 27th, 2021. And according to Israel newspapers, it appears he was crowned to be king or at least Moshiach either that night or on April the 3rd, 2021, which was the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But in the same way, he was anointed in the same way that David was anointed to be king over Israel while Saul was still king. He's also known as the son of a famous Kabbalah, a Kabbalistic rabbi that claims to be a direct descendant from Hezekiah and secondarily through King David. At a private, they said a private coronation of Rab Shlomo Yehoda is not enough to satisfy, satisfy the prophetic requirement of the Jewish Messiah as King of Israel. It must be done publicly, which some suggest would probably be done on Tishri 1 in 2023. But until then, we have to wait and see what happens and how this develops. But Tishri, 20, Tishri 1 in 2023 is the same day that the red heifers in Israel are going to be ready for sacrifice. Do you realize we're talking about and we've talked about for the last two days all of these tributaries of history. It seemed like they were so spread around the world and had no significance. But today, they're all tributaries running into one great funnel, and that is the end time. They're coming to the end time stage. We're living in the last days. Now, again, I'm going to tell you, this is not the gloomiest hour of the church. This is the greatest hour of the church. You're not going to be here for the misery that's coming. You're going to be caught away to be with the Lord, and so shall we ever be with him. Older chief rabbis from all over the world begin to travel to Jerusalem to meet him to see for themselves if it's possible that he's the one. One writer said they all seemed to melt in his presence as they wept and bowed and kissed his hand and pleaded for him to bless them. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name and you receive me not, but another will come in his own name and him will you receive. This may mean nothing to the rest of the world, but it ought to sound alarm bells for the church because God is still trying to get our attention. 
The World Economic Forum has been waiting 50 years for something to happen that would provide a perfect segue for the global reset. And Klaus Schwab, its founder, spoke of COVID-19 as the gift that we've been waiting for for 50 years. He said COVID-19 pushed their global climate agenda to the forefront. One global central bank to control one global digital currency that will require hand scanners and facial recognition technology to be accessed. One global governmental body owned and controlled by own, owning and controlling everything by 2030. The same year is supposed to be the year that ends the tribulation. Will you, he said you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. I want to... He's, this is not something that that just all of a sudden they they uh, 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 dropped a bomb on us. They've been waiting for this day for 50 years, but God orchestrated it. They didn't do that. God sent COVID-19 at the right place at the right time to set up so many things. Oh, I'm telling you folks, when you look at it from all of these different angles, we serve a mighty God. He is in control. I don't care how chaotic the world seems, there is an almighty mighty God that's in control and he's pulling the strings. None of that technology is waiting to be invented. None of it. It's already in place now. It's waiting for the Antichrist to implement it's, uh, it's implemented or put it into order. Russia, China, and Iran are the axis of nations that the Bible said would take center stage in the last days. And we've seen that strengthened even this past week. I'm often asked by people, what about the timing of the Gog Magog Wars? I think we're now beginning to see why America is not going to play the role of a superpower when the nations of the world gather against Israel. We are not going to be the savior of Israel. God is. He said, I will be a wall of fire around about them. I will be the glory in the midst of them. He's not worried about America's arsenal. He doesn't care who we've got in leadership. They're not going to protect them. The armies of the world are going to come against Israel, but God Almighty, he said, I'm going to drag them there. I'm going to put a hook in a jaw of Russia. They not, they're not going to want to go there, but I'm going to drag them there. And when I get them there, I'm going to destroy them there so I can prove to them that I am God. There is a God in Israel. It's important to understand that the first Gog-Magog war happens somewhere around the beginning of the tribulation. And the battle of Armageddon is the second Gog-Magog war that takes place at the end of the tribulation. How do you know that, Brother Moses? Because Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, Gog and Magog were gathered together by God. But in Revelation, Gog and Magog were gathered by Satan. The first Gog-Magog war, the Bible tells us, involves the king of the north, that's Russia, and the king of the south, which is Persia or Iran, plus whatever Arab nations are allies. And then the battle of Armageddon involves not the king of the north, but the king of the east, China, with a 200 million man army, and the king of the west, that's Europe and America, led by the Antichrist. They're not the same thing, and America is not leading in either of these wars because something obviously was going to happen to America to weaken the nation, to make us unable to maintain a superpower uh, uh, status in the world. Somebody said, what's that going to be? I don't know what it's going to be. But I can tell you, the church is not going to be here 
We don't know about the start of the first Gog-Magog war, but the church is not going to be here for what's coming. But I'll tell you one thing, it's close. It's at the door. I believe that what's happening in the world right now and in the church right now are meant to be interconnected. I'm going to talk about revival tonight. I'm going to talk about some things going on in Asbury and all, all other places around the world. You're going to see tonight how this has all come together to funnel one divine purpose. That, that the Lord is going to bring wrath upon this earth, but he's ready to get his bride out of here. It was all about saving you and I. I don't know what it's going to be like to see streets of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. I don't know what it's going to be like to look upon the face of the Lord, but I'm longing for that experience. Hallelujah. And I believe we're really close to it now. This is not the time to give up. It's not the time to quit. If you're down, get back up. If you're discouraged, get back up. If you feel like you're hopeless, get back up. Now is not the time to stop. You've got to keep on running a while longer. The stage is set with all the prophesied characters now in place for God's grand finale. In 1980, or the 80s, 80% of the Chinese people lived in dire poverty. With the average GDP for an individual was about $300 a year. That was less than Sudan. They were a third world country with a bunch of uneducated, starving people. When I grew up, they would always tell us, finish, finish what's on your plate. There's folks starving in China. And it was true. But everything began to change in 1995 when American companies started moving to China for the cheap labor or slave labor. And China then went from a third world country to a global superpower in less than 20 years. It was unprecedented in human history. Why? Because the will of God was at work. This event was prophesied by Ezekiel and Daniel in Revelation before there ever was a Russia, before there ever was a religion called Islam. Daniel, Ezekiel 38 and 39 speaks of Russia invading Israel. It's mentioned 18 times. But do you know, there was not only was there not a Russia, but there was not an Israel when he made that prophecy. There was no Israel. For 2,534 years, there was no Israel. He prophesied of Israel, they're going to invade Israel, but there, for 2,534 years, there wasn't one until your lifetime in 1948 when they were reborn. Why? Because God had a plan. I don't care how far out there they are. He's bringing them back, and time and eternity was all coordinated so God could bring them back at the right time, at the right hour, when he's going to bring a red heifer, when he's going to bring a false messiah, he's going to bring everything together at the right time. When the nations of the world are going to align and take sides against Israel, God is going to do that. Man's not doing it. I told our church a few weeks ago, the arrival of the red heifers in Israel's made the Jews feel emboldened and unstoppable. They're now doing bold dress rehearsals around the Temple Mount in preparation for the temple services. Somebody said, well, they don't have a temple yet, but it's built off-site. It's already built off-site, just like Solomon's was. There was no sound of a hammer there. 
They got a prefab temple ready to go. And, and according to one Jew, one Jewish rabbi, he said, we can build that temple in 60 days. It's going to be there. Jesus said it would be there in Matthew 24. It's going to be there. The building of the third temple is now being talked about openly in the Israeli Knesset, a full dress, re, a dress reenactment of the water libation ceremony, and the music played by the Levites are being carried on. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of Jews that are gathering from around the world to practice, to make sure they're ready. But when I saw the rabbi that was leading that, Rabbi Israel Ariel, he's the founder of the Temple Institute. It's the same rabbi. Same rabbi that called for the emergency Aliyah conference warning the Jews from all over the world to come home now. Something big is coming. You need to come back now because Israel is about to be the only safe place on earth for Jews. I didn't put the pieces together until I told my wife. I saw the videos of the red heifer being delivered in Israel, and wouldn't you know, it was the same rabbi, Rabbi Israel Ariel, who was welcoming the red heifers to Israel just a couple of weeks later. The Jews are getting ready. What about you? I saw a few weeks ago that we're now so globally connected that we're globally affected. We're no, the article said we're no longer self-sustaining families or communities that can provide for ourselves in our own small family farms, but rather we're now totally dependent on a massive food supply that comes from all over the world because of the industrial revolution that came at the turn of the century. Daniel said in the last days, man's knowledge would be increased. It all started at the turn of the century, and, and that interconnectivity is actually now set the stage for the very global pandemics, global famine, global supply chain disruptions that are now affecting the whole world. Do you see how God put it all together? Man didn't do that. God put that all together. COVID set the stage for the fastest global political control that had ever been seen or imagined in human history. And the technology needed for a one world leader to control and govern the whole world just so happened to be invented at the perfect time in history so it could be used right now. These are not accidents. This is not a coincidence. They are divinely ordained by Almighty God who is still ruling in the kingdoms of men. God told Nebuchadnezzar, I'm still in control and I'll prove it to you. Since the start of COVID-19, countries like Canada and Austria that used to be, or, or Australia rather, that used to be common sense democracies have become tyrannical dictatorships that are guilty of blatant human rights violations. The whole world has gone mad and we're watching it in real time because God is still trying to get our attention. Good is evil now and evil is now good. Several churches agree to, are now agreeing to host drag shows for children. The United Church of Christ and the United Methodist Church are both splitting right now over LGBTQ-related issues. Uh, meanwhile, Fox News reported a few weeks ago that parents in North Carolina gathered outside of a local school to host a prayer rally in response to an after-school Satan club that's attempting to establish a presence at the school in the area. These religious Christian parents uh, were protested and attacked for their opposition. Netflix is streaming a Japanese program called He's Expecting, which stars a pregnant man. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is not sad. This is not science. This is madness. This is lunacy. It's evil and satanic. It's the reprobate mind of Romans chapter 1 on full display. Don't get comfortable with it. Don't get used to it. Be reminded God is trying to get our attention. We're now being encouraged even on national levels in, in the United Pentecostal Church from what the news they're getting is we need to be prepared for church without buildings. Are you ready for that? We need to get ready to lose our tax-exempt status and be removed from all social media platforms for preaching what they called your hateful, offensive, and bigoted Christian, bigoted Christian doctrines. It's coming. The church is about to be rejected on a wide scale on the globe, but this is not the gloomiest hour. We are in the hand of God. We are exactly where he wants us to be, and when the world rejects us, we're going to have revival like the world has never seen. We've all seen the video clips on the news that show people walking into drugstores. They got duffel bags. They're filling them up, whatever they want, walk out the door. They know they'll not be arrested or charged. They're pushing innocent strangers in front of moving trains, smashing strangers' skulls with baseball bats for no reason, stabbing strangers for the fun of it. Rape and mass shootings are happening in crowded places, even in broad daylight. Nobody's stopping it. They're just pulling out their phones and recording it to put on social media. This is a powerful reminder to us how quickly lawlessness and anarchy can become rampant in our communities. There's nothing stable. We're all scratching our heads wondering what country is this? Ladies and gentlemen, the world is falling apart and we are watching the collapse of society before our very eyes. And the church is the only safe place, the only stable place you're ever going to find in this world. Numbers chapter 19 I'm hurrying Numbers chapter 19 verse 1 The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron saying This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded saying Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot Wherein is no blemish and upon which never came a yoke and ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp. And one shall slay her before his face. Eleazar the priest shall take of her blood with his finger and sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight. Her skin and her flesh and her blood with her dung shall he burn. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. And the priest shall wash his clothes and shall bathe his flesh in water. And afterward he shall come into the camp and the priest shall be unclean until the even and he that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the even and if a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation it is a purification for sin and he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and shall be unclean until the even and it shall be unto the children of Israel and to the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statute forever. According to the Jews right now, the delivery of the red heifers in Israel is the greatest modern prophetic event in the history of Israel since the rebirth in 1948. They were delivered on Friday, September the 16th, 19, or, or, uh, 2022. Rabbi Wagner said, We've been waiting 2,000 years for this day. 
and it has finally arrived. We've been waiting as the church for 2,000 years for this day too. He said the red heifers came from several sources, not just one, and they will change history. They will change the world. I watched while they were unloading the red heifers. I saw the excitement of the Jewish people. They were dancing and singing and weeping, and one man said, these are man's best hope. You cannot overemphasize how important, how world-changing this, really event, this event really is in the life not only of Israel but the church. The rabbi said the arrival of the red heifers is a clear sign that we are entering into the days of the Messiah. He went on to say, I can hardly believe my own eyes after all the efforts that have been made to raise heifers, to bring heifers, and now they're finally here. He said, since this is the year of the red heifer, we're thrilled that a mere 12 days from the end of the year when it would have been disqualified, he said the red heifers came to Israel, and that means that next year will be the year of redemption. Not to, That's to purchase back. It's not a cancellation of the debt but it's rather to, to pay the debt in full hallelujah so what are the red heifers they may mean nothing to you but I'm telling you they mean everything to Israel I've been preaching about the ashes of the red heifer for more than 30 years so when I got up that Friday morning I had prayer I got online to check my emails I was stunned to see the headlines that five perfect red heifers were delivered to Israel overnight within a short time my wife and I our phones started blowing up People from everywhere calling or texting, wanted to know if I had heard what just happened. My wife and I were emotional. We were, we were overwhelmed all day long at what had just taken place. To preach it and then see it come to pass was amazing. And I told my wife that Friday night before I went to bed, I said, it's easy now. Right now it's easy to see why Donald Trump and Joe Biden were both God-ordained presidents who were both divinely appointed for this particular moment in human history to bring about the fulfillment of an eternal purpose and that truth cannot be denied. It took somebody with the boldness of Trump that had no connection to political lobbyists that said that would use their money and their power to influence and manipulate these hungry, these money-hungry politicians to, but he recognized Jerusalem as the eternal capital of the Jewish city and to prove it or of the Jewish nation and by proving he moved the embassy there that other presidents from 1948 have been promising and then I read a few weeks ago uh, that Trump did more for Israel than any other American president in history it was all God's plan somebody said he was crude and rude and America was ready for him no it was a there was a there was a program that God wanted instituted in Israel he's setting up the end time he's arranging the characters on the stage you didn't vote him in. God did. But it also took the incompetence of a leader like Joe Biden combined with global power grabs that came as a result of COVID-19 to give away America's greatest power in both energy and leadership in order to set the stage for the rise of the Antichrist. A global reset. A new world order being set in place by a radical climate change agenda. Make no mistake about it, God Almighty is still in control. I just preached a message in our church the Sunday before the red heifers were delivered entitled, Bring the Jews Home Now. I talked about the emergency Aliyah conference that was held in Jerusalem the Sunday before where they were trying to get all of the Jews to come. It's an emergency. you got to come now. 
They spoke in terms of the end of days. They spoke about the final wave of Jewish migration back to Israel. To hear Jews say something big is coming. It's about to happen. The only safe place in the world for, for Jews is going to be Israel. You've got to come home now. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up. When you see the fig tree or Israel bring forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. That miracle of rebirth happened in 1948. He said this generation, the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel, will see that the generation will not pass until all these things are fulfilled. The time clock of God has always been Israel. Paul told us in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 that God's going to return to the Jews when the times of the Gentiles of the church age is finished. Amen. I know some folks think God's done with the Jews. No, he's not. So after reading the reports of the delivery of the red heifers, seeing who the rabbis in charge were, I understood why the Aliyah conference was so important and urgent because the same rabbis were conducting the welcoming service or ceremony at the airport they were the same rabbis calling for the emergency Aliyah conference two weeks before. Why? Because they already knew what was about to happen. With the delivery of the red heifers was going to change the world. I first met Rabbi Heim Richman of the Temple Institute in Jerusalem many years ago. I interviewed him in his office about the third temple. I met him in America several other times while he was working with some apostolic cattle farmers in Mississippi and Georgia, Texas, trying to find a perfect red heifer. The search has been on, going on for decades, but they never could find one. One of these rabbis at the delivery of the red heifers in Israel said, we have tried for 2,000 years to breed one to come up with one, to find one. We could not find one. In the Old Testament, in, in the Old Testament, there were nine red heifers offered uh, until the time of Jesus. But the tenth and final red heifer was supposed to be the final one, the last one, and it would be provided, the Jews say, when the time is right. The Jews cannot come back to God. It doesn't mean anything to you, but the Jews cannot come back to God without the ashes of the red heifer to purify the priest and the holies of holies. It's also important to note they're not looking for the ninth red heifer but some believe you need to mix that with the tenth one but they said no we don't need the ninth one we need the tenth and final red heifer this is what Rabbi Heimrichman said the number ten means a finished work the tenth red heifer will finish the blood work it will bring the Messiah and it will cause a resurrection Jesus fulfilled that when he hung on the cross and said it's finished he finished the blood work there was a resurrection of the dead he also when he when he when he was when he was crucified on Calvary, it was proof that he was the Messiah. He was the Lamb of God. I'm telling you, he fulfilled everything. And today, what they're looking for, they're going to get a confirmation from a man that's a Messiah, but he's not the Messiah. The need to fulfill this custom is clearly seen in the rejection of the man Christ Jesus. The blindness that Paul said followed, 2 Corinthians 3 and 13. I'm hurrying. Not as Moses which put a veil over his face, 
that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. The Old Testament doesn't make any sense if you don't see Christ as the fulfillment. He said in verse 15, but even to this day when Moses has read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it or they shall return to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Hebrews 9 and 11 said, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater, more perfect tabernacle that's, that, that's not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place having eternal redem obtained eternal redemption for us the Jews are still looking for that redemption but Paul said he entered once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh then how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. Jesus fulfilled all of the aspects of the sacrificial system. He was the scapegoat that was led to the wilderness to die alone. The scapegoat, the priest would put his hands upon the head of that scapegoat, pronounce the sins of Israel over him. Then they took a scarlet thread and a ribbon. They would tear it in half. They would tie one half to the horns of the scapegoat and the other half would be tied to the post at the temple. Then they would send that scapegoat to the wilderness to die alone. And if God accepted the sacrifice, then the, the ribbon on the horns of the scapegoat and the post of the temple, they would turn white as snow. Uh, but Jesus, when he was crucified. In fact, Isaiah chapter 1 mentioned that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they, they shall be as wool. But Jesus was also the Lamb of God who was bound and slain north of the altar. Hallelujah. When, when, when the scapegoat went to the wilderness and, and Jesus had been crucified for the next 40 years, that ribbon never turned white. It always stayed red. Why? Because the sacrifice was was done. No more lambs, no more bulls, no more doves. It was done. Calvary finished the blood work. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Somebody said he was crucified. He was crucified as a lamb. What John say? He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Isaac was bound and slain, or bound to be slain, not where the Dome of the Rock is. A lot of people misunderstand that. The lamb was always bound and slain north of the altar. So if you look at the Dome of the Rock where they believe was the Holies of Holies, he was not bound and slain there. Why not? Because he was representing Christ. But if you go north of the altar... Well, the lamb was bound and slain. It takes you to a hill called Calvary. 
And right there outside of the Damascus gate, that's where they crucified him. That's where they killed the lamb. The lamb was always bound and slain north of the altar. But he was also the red heifer who would willingly walk up the Mount of Olives and in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they, they, didn't, crucif- they didn't kill that lamb or, or that, uh, uh, that red heifer on the Temple Mount. They went up the garden into the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And where they were standing at the height, you could look from that spot directly through the eastern gate you could look through the outer gate of the temple through the inner gate of the temple and directly into the holies of holies and Jewish tradition said when the when that red heifer would walk up the mountain he did it on his own and when he got to the right spot nine of them in the Old Testament they would turn their face toward Jerusalem looking at the temple and the altar and the mercy seat and they would cut the throat of the animal and while it was bleeding to death it was looking toward that as if the say I'm doing this for you Jesus crucified his own will as the red heifer in the garden of Gethsemane he went there oh Jerusalem Jerusalem how oft would I have gathered you together he wasn't dying for his own sins he was dying for theirs he fulfilled all three of them because they were all about him I'm hurrying. I might need CPR. For the Jewish people, the tenth and final red heifer heifer represented the culmination of 6,000 years of waiting for God's grand finale. I love this article. The late Paul Harvey said in two of his noonday broadcasts, he said, and I quote, The coming home of the red cow is the next forecastable world event. Paul Harvey said, there was a Yiddish writing that had been recently rediscovered that had named some very important events down to the very letter in the life of Israel all the way up to the Iraqi war, even to the point of naming some in the countries that were involved. He went on to say, this, however, is not what excited the Orthodox Jew, but it was the event immediately following that. And that was the redemption of Israel. He said, Israel cannot be redeemed until she repents. She cannot repent until she comes home. And the red cow will call her home. The prayer of the Jew is Messiah, come home. The Aliyah conference saying, come home, you need to come home now. One week later, the red heifers are delivered. They're saying, come home now. You gotta come home now. Redemption is is ready. You gotta come home now. Paul Harvey said that's what will call them home. They can't be redeemed without it. I preached that in our church a week before I knew the red heifers were on their way. But I want to echo the same thing here. What's happening all over the world ought to be calling every backslider, every cold saint of God back to the altar, back to the church. Hey man, back to the fold because this is going to be the only safe place in these last days. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said just before he died, he said, it is finished. We look at that and say, well, it's an announcement that the the misery of the cross is over. What he did, he's done. But to the Jews, it was a form of blasphemy. Because the Jews say by using those particular words, 
He was actually saying in a mocking way to them, or that's how they took it, that I am the tenth and final red heifer, and my blood will finish the blood work. Every sacrifice, ritual, ordinance in the Old Testament, it was a type and shadow of the Christ that was to come. You know, there was no seats, no chairs, no stools in the temple or the tabernacle to sit. Why? Because the blood work was never finished. The priest, Hebrews 10 and 11 said, Every priest standeth, standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. There was no remission back then. But this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God because the blood work was finally finished. Many years ago, Rabbi Heim Richman told one of our apostolic preachers, he said, if you're right and we're wrong, if Jesus Christ was in fact the Messiah and we missed him, then you can tell the American Christians that if they hear on CNN cable network news that the Jews are marching the red heifer up the Mount of Olives for sacrifice, then you as a Christian can shut off your set, go outside in your yard, lift your hands toward heaven because you will be caught away in that thing you call the rapture, end of quote. They believe we're at the end. I wonder if you do. They believe we're at the end. They believe the Gentile church is coming to a close. What about you? Let me cover this real quick, real quick. Several Christian ranchers were breeding cattle for this, this perfect red trait. It had to be perfect. I don't have time to get into all that. But one of the major difficulties they knew they were going to have was that the government requires tagging every calf after its birth. And since the ear tags would create a hole in the calf's ear, that blemish alone would disqualify them. So even if they had a perfect red heifer in America, they can't get it to Israel. It's got a hole in its ear. It won't, be, it won't qualify. However... This is what the rabbi said. He said the farmers that actually produced these red heifers, and I think they were on five different farms, he said that because of COVID-19, the employee who normally puts the tags in the ears did not come to the farm when these five calves were born. So they were able to get them to Israel with no hole in their ear. You don't think God knows what he's doing? Somebody said COVID is a, is a curse from the devil. No, it's God's plan and purpose. He's setting a stage. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you know him? Aren't you glad you've got confidence that he knows exactly what's going on? The cows had to be between when they were, when they were discovered. You can be seated five to eight months old. But to be suitable for the sacrifice, they had to be two years and one day. So the red heifers were raised in Israel, are being raised in Israel until they reach the proper age. The rabbi pointed out, I want you to get this. The rabbi pointed out that last year, now I'm talking about in Hebrew terms, that last year, this was 2021, 20, was 5781 in the Hebrew calendar. 5781. In Hebrew numerology, remember I talked about? It's a audible, it's a pictograph, and it's got a numerical value. In Hebrew numerology, 
This is an acronym. I'm not going to try to fumble through the Hebrew because I don't know that. But this is what the acronym is for that number. It will be the year of the red heifer. The very year that they were born, there is an acronym in the very date. Folks, only God could do that. The Jews knew this is the year that a red heifer is going to be born. And in two weeks, when, when this was discovered, in two weeks, it would begin 5783. The year in which the red heifer would be performed or the ceremony of the red heifer would be performed. Wait, wait a minute, I, I missed one here. It would be the year of the red heifer. Uh, 5781, I, I skipped over one, I'm sorry. But he said, this year, 5782 is an acronym for it will be for a, it will be a year for the red heifer in Israel. Not only were they born in 81, 5781, they had to get them in Israel. They were not in Israel according to the acronym, but they had to be in Israel. And in two weeks, it would have been the year 5783. If they didn't get them there, when they got them there, they had 12 days of time and they would have been disqualified and would not have met the prophecy. God knows what he's doing. And then the next year would be, the acronym is the ceremony of the red heifer will be performed. Or it is the year, the red heifer of the red heifer of redemption. What are you saying, Brother Moses? This year, this fall, Tishri 1, they believe in this coming September, latter part of September, they believe the red heifer is ready to be sacrificed. And they plan to sacrifice it uh, during, the, during the Feast of Trumpets. We are at the end. How could all of this come together at the same time? unless there was God Almighty that was conducting the orchestra. He knew how it was going to work and God laid it all in, plan, in his plan from the very beginning. I'm closing. Not because I'm done, I'm just exhausted. According to Jewish tradition, there will only be 10 red heifers in human history. Only ten. And the tenth one would usher in the Messiah. Rabbi Moshe Maimonides, probably the most renowned medieval scholar, Jewish scholar, wrote, the tenth red heifer will be accomplished or offered by the king, the Messiah, end of quote. The tenth and final red heifer was offered by the king, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Even the even the caption over his cross said, King of the Jews. <laughs> Cannot begin to express to you how prophetic and historic this event really is, not just for the Jews, but to the church, making a way for the long-awaited redemption of the Jews. We're there. We're in that hour now. The red heifers were delivered in last September. They'll be old enough to be sacrificed on Tishri 1. Many preachers, pastors, prophecy scholars believe the rapture of the church will take place just before the Feast of Trumpets. If that's true, this could be the last few months the church is on the earth. It's an exciting time. I'm ready to go. 
I pray every day, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's my desire. I've lived for it my whole life. I'm ready for it. And if you're not ready, you need to get ready. Would you stand with me? Somebody said, it scares me when I hear things about the coming of the Lord. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 7, and to you who are troubled, you're troubled. He was talking about the end times. He said, if you're troubled, rest with us. Rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They're the ones, he said, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The Feast of Trumpets announces the closing of the sacred cycle, but likewise, it announces the closing of the age. There's no month in the biblical year like Tishri. The Jews believe that Tishri was the month in which God created the world because Tishri is harvest time. And when the earth was created, all the fruits of the earth were fully ripened for Adam and his family. The Shemitah is the seventh year. It's an ending cycle. The Tishri is the seventh month. It's the beginning of the new year. So together they represent both the beginning but also the end. Why is that significant? Because the same sunset that ended the Shemitah year would also begin the month of Tishri at the same moment. So the Shemitah year ends at the same moment Tishri begins when all debts, all credits are wiped out. Tishri is also called the month of reckoning when nations will stand before God and when all sin will be dealt with. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle from the law will pass away until all is fulfilled. He's coming. And we're watching it unfold before our very eyes. It's not an hour to be scared or worried or stressed. It's an hour to get closer to him because his coming is even at the door. Would you lift your hands and seek the Lord today? We'll turn this back over to you, brother, pastor, whoever. Folks, there's no reason not to end this service like every service leading up to this one. And that is frequenting these altars, finding a place to pray, having a conversation with God, being introspective about our own personal lives. Amen, right? There's enough, there's enough been said in the past 72 hours around here. Amen. It should bring perhaps maybe an awareness that maybe you didn't have or a consciousness about something maybe perhaps that you didn't have. But here's what I do know, that we, we have been given something in what we have heard and knowledge that we are now responsible for, that we are stewards of that we are stewards of. And I want to be a good steward of the knowledge of what has been taking place over the past 72 hours around here. Can we come talk to the Lord? If you can't come to the front, you need to kneel at your pew or you need to sit there and do it. I just wonder if we could give some space of time right here. Amen. Give some space of time right here. 
Hallelujah. If there are unthing, or if there are some things undone in your life, if there are some things that need to be dealt with, this, this would be a great time to deal with that. That would be a great time to seek the face of God and seek His forgiveness. It would be a great time to let un, undone things become done, finished. If there's forgivenesses that need to be exchanged or if there's uh, hardships in hearts or minds, it would be a great time to get those things under the blood. An awesome time for that. If you've never repented of your sin, this is a prime opportunity, amen, to repent of your sins and to the Lord. And he is just and faithful to forgive you of them all. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name this morning, there is water ready, amen, to baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, amen, you can surrender this morning. Your hands are lifted, amen. You can tell him that you want him living inside of your life, amen. Open that door, open your wheel. Submit your will to the will of God this morning. Hallelujah. Let's talk to the Lord for a moment here today. Amen. We're not in any rush. Amen. Right now. We're not in any rush. Hallelujah. Heaven, we need you this morning, God. Hallelujah. We need you, Jesus. I've been Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.